Hi everyone, it's Victoria Stapleton from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I'm back again with the freshest episode of the Little Brown School and Library podcast. I'm very happy to be in the cave of literary fabulosity today because I'm with Greg Pizzoli. He is a noted picture book author, a multiple Geisel Award and honoree winner, most recently for the Book Hog. Earlier, off uh, mic, so to speak, we were talking about the pig thing. Uh, because he, he, he has a number of books featuring pigs, including his brand new early graphic novel, reader series, uh, Baloney and Friends, which is delightful. Uh, but frequent listeners of the podcast will know that I do love pig. And I made friends with pig this morning, so, so now I feel bad. Oh, no. <laughs> I just realized what I had for breakfast, but pig is great. Well, I, I've been vegetarian for... 20 years so I can't I can't follow you, can't, you down that no you I can't do, I do love I do love drawing pigs apparently they're lovely <laughs> they're lovely and I I as my 2020 uh I don't make resolutions I make sort of like oh, it'd probably be a, be a good idea to try this it's like one of those things like, let's eat less meat and then oh well now 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 we're doing this thing where a vegetarian has mentioned that he's vegetarian and no. now everyone says well I was like to like no 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 I, because I, I, the I, second I, part of the <laughs> sentence is but then I think about bacon and I'm like nope <laughs> not happening <laughs> to each his own I, I'm not uh I'm not here to tell anyone else how to eat. You have done just a, a prodigious number of really lovely, accessible, charming, yet spicy and sparky picture books. Goodnight Owl, The Watermelon Seed, The Book Hog, which I love, even though it is pink. Yes, frequent listeners will understand the childhood pink trauma from 1973. You do have a holiday book, which I think is probably the most mod holiday book of all times, The Twelve Days of Christmas. I do think there should be like some sort of Austin Powers music at that party on the cover, don't you think? Huh. Um, I'm not going down that road. No, don't go down that road. Uh-oh, this is not this going is 12 well, to people. 12 Days of Christmas. I think 12 Days of Christmas should be playing. Okay. Okay, with maybe a jazz beat. Maybe, okay, okay. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe, you maybe we get, like, you know, Stan gets to do the sax part of that. Yes. Uh, and now you're doing Baloney and Friends. Um so what I love to talk to picture book creators about is that whole sort of there's the visual storytelling as well as the verbal storytelling. And now that you're moving into a graphic novel format, which is, I don't want to say more complex because I don't think it necessarily is more complex, but it's a different storytelling arrangement. Can you talk to us a bit about how you've approached characters before, storytelling before as a picture book creator and now moving into graphic novels? Yeah, sure. I think for me, I was always fearful of making a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. I thought because you hear uh, of how labor intensive they are as an illustrator, mm -hmm. and of course the page length is is more. There's panels, um, so there's more. There's more to draw. But for me, it was almost a relief to work in the format compared to a picture book spread where I typically will have sixteen spreads to work with. You know, the forty page picture book. The end papers, the title, maybe a half title. You you take all that away. You have fifteen mm -hmm. or sixteen page turns to deal with. And I was sort of delighted in working with the graphic novel to realize like I have so much more room to mm -hmm. flesh out this story and uh, to live with these characters. There are little moments that happen where a character might just be sighing or or might just be looking down and not saying anything but thinking something, and you get a little bit of time with that moment. Yeah. Um, whereas with a picture book. You can have that. Some people 
are great at that. For, for me, I think, I feel like each page turn in a picture book is such a monumental shift in mm -hmm. the story that I, I high impact <laughs> page turns <laughs> have kind of been uh, what I what I strive for in a lot of my picture books. So it's it's been a delight to have a little bit more room for that kind of softer, uh, I don't want to say quieter necessarily, but more introspective moments within each character. Mm -hmm. That is sort of, you have had the watermelon seed, the book hog, good night owl. There's been, you know, a lot of focus on individual characters in a picture book that's not unusual. And here you have in Bologna and Friends, yes, also people who know me know that of Bologna, Peanut, Biz, and Crabbit, Crabbit um, is the best expression of my inner child. Crabbit is the very grumpy rabbit, and he... I guess not entirely to my surprise, uh, seems to be a lot of people's most popular and most, most favorite I, character. And I got to the end of this, near the end of this, and looking with the puppies, and I was like, of course, because also the puppies. Um, and so this has had a lot of balance of characters and different personalities. So how did you find that? Working with that, is that, did that require you to think more expansively or more restrictively? Well, I think from the beginning, they were a core group. Actually, in my first sketches, I think there were six characters. Oh, six. Um, you know, I sort of like whittled them down into their character traits, became, you know, became uh, a foursome seemed like the best mm -hmm. way to sort of include everything that I wanted to. And you're right, like I've never worked with a cast before. Watermelon Seed has the crocodile. Goodnight Owl uh, does have noise the mouse but al is the main star and mm -hmm. the book hog is sort of the star of the show too and this was the first this was my attempt to write a series really like mm -hmm. i wanted to live with some characters for a while and the pitch that i that i wrote was really kind of like a tv show that's how i thought about baloney and mm -hmm. friends really is this is about baloney and his friends these are different adventures that they have and each of the little comics, each one is about 10 spreads, mm -hmm. 20 pages or so, is a little mini episode. And I wrote many episodes before I put the first book together. I wrote some episodes that'll be in book two, uh, even before book one was finished. And I just sort of picked the ones that felt like they went the best together. In terms of writing for a, a cast of four rather than one, I mean, I think it's just, again, like, all those little moments that you can have where somebody peanut can say peanut the horse is very excitable and she can say gasp and just be very excited about something and Crabbit can roll his eyes in that same panel and then on the next panel say something kind of snarky and you get a feeling from what he's what he's thinking about or who his character is just from that rolling of the mm -hmm. eyes and I think that writing for four has been again, it's just been kind of a, a relief. Like I have, it's not, I've never related to this feeling when writers talk about, oh, you know, you just get the characters on the page and let them talk, mm -hmm. let them do their thing. I, I sort of never understood what that meant um, as a writer before. And I really do feel like with Bologna and Peanut and Biz and Crabbit, I feel like I could have them standing at a bus stop and just kind of almost record their conversation mm -hmm. in my sketchbook and something funny would happen or something interesting would happen. Um, it's just been kind of a relief to have these strong personalities who will play off one another and not 
not require necessarily a high concept like swallowing a watermelon seed or being scared of something mm -hmm. that you don't understand, like a watermelon or goodnight owl. I, when I was looking at this, I related a lot to my friends because, yes, I am Crabbit. Mm -hmm. I am Crabbit. This is known. But I have a sister who is Peanut. Uh, and one of my best friends, I would say, is Baloney. I really was always the crabbit of the group. But I do remember, like, going to the school bus. And I and as I was reading this book, I mean, I was in there thinking, oh, this is this reminds me of, this book is aimed at a little younger audience, but I was thinking of fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And the various mornings on fourth grade when we would just talk about different things. Right. I, I feel like sometimes we think of these, it is sort of like a sitcom, mm -hmm. set of sitcom characters. And we, I was thinking with my adult brain, it's something like Cheers or The Good Place or Don't Love Friends. So let's go with Living Single because that <laughs> is a better show. Um, but then, and I'm thinking, oh, that's such an adult set of conversations. And I'm like, no, but when you were in the fourth grade, yes, you were talking uh, about who's going to get the tetherball thing. Right. At, uh, on the playground, but different playground politics or different activities or making up a story together like, Okay, honestly, people, Captain Skyfork, I want that. It's like a mini movie. Um, but it reminded me that kids really, they begin that sort of conversation, those conversations and storytelling together and shared worlds together mm -hmm. at an early point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that all of, all of that is true. From my experience, storytelling, whether through books or TV shows or video games, was a big part of what we talked about mm -hmm. on the school bus growing up. Yeah. Talking about TV shows as you just were, really makes me think about, like, I've always thought of Baloney and Friends as kind of like a Seinfeld cast, or not that each one is a stand-in for each of those four no, characters, no. but how they interact and relate to one another. A foursome, for me as a writer, was, again, it was just kind of like a relief to write yeah. for, whereas, you know, if you write a picture book with a star character, everything is kind of on them. And if you write, you know, a lot of early readers... Some of my favorites, like George and Martha, Frog and Toad, they play really, Elf and a Piggy, you know, they play off one another really mm -hmm. well, where it's just two characters, maybe they're somewhat opposites. Mm -hmm. A three-person, like an Alvin and the Chipmunks, it's like Alvin and then the, the two others. With Bologna and Friends, I really feel like I could write a story that's just about biz, and Bologna could sort of maybe not be in it at all, yeah. or maybe could be in the background, but their world that they create, that that they exist in, can support all of them and all their different stories. I mean, I've read this book with kids already in schools. I read it in sketch form, and I've, I've read it now that I have the advanced reader copies. And I ask, you know, what do you guys think that Bologna and Friends should do next? And number one thing is they say Kravitz should get his own book. I said, you know, well, I wrote a book, or I wrote a, a story where Baloney gets sick and Kravitz has to fill in for him, and they're, like, they're they're there for it, you know, they, <laughs> so I, I, I like the idea that I can sort of bring them in when their personality trait is needed for whatever scenario I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you asked a question or if I answered no, anything No, we're just anyway, having a chat, it's fine, because as you were saying that, I'm actually reminded of a movie called Nobody's Fool starring Paul Newman. It's based on a Richard Russo novel. And the idea is uh, the son goes up to see his father and thinks his father is sort of useless because he doesn't have a big job. He just hangs around all day. He goes to the uh, store to get his trifecta every day. He goes to the bar to do things every day. But then his dad gets injured and sick and the kid realizes 
how much his father does in the community every single day just by interacting with people. And I think these characters are interesting in how you've set them up, is that shared world very much depends on the four of them being in that interaction. And when one is sort of like falling down a little bit, another one can balance it. But the balance is always changing because it is rather than a singular narrative, it's a conversation that you've represented. Right, I think that's right. I mean, I think that Peanut's not quite so daffy if uh, Biz isn't there to sort of be the calm voice in the room. And yeah. Peanut er, and Baloney isn't quite so uh, naive, maybe, if Crabbit isn't so jaded. You know, they they work. I think some, sometimes with kids, people, are, or kids have asked me, rather, you know, which character are you? Or which, you know, I like Peanut, I'm Peanut. You started the conversation by saying you're Crabbit. I think the truth for me is that they're all different parts of my personality. Mm-hmm. I can be in a sour mood and be a little crabbity. I can, on my way to little brown offices, walk into the wrong building and be, <laughs> and be a little bit of a, a baloney. Um, but I think with that foursome, I, I, I hope, my hope is that there is uh, one of the characters uh, will appeal to, to every kid in some way. And that dynamic of the four of them at play will just be something that's around for a long time. I hope it is too. I, the other thing I enjoy about it, because I think about this a lot, is I do, I reread a lot. And I mm-hmm. reread books when I'm in different moods. And I can see kids identifying with one of these characters more than another in a different time, different times of reading, where they are in just different places, which is another thing I enjoy about it. Um, because you specialize in writing for this group, which is you know a lot of emerging readers, practicing readers, do you think a lot about particular language structures or vocabulary that you need to use? And has, has that changed with this new series? I do think of my audience as mostly emerging readers, young readers, and kids, kids who are learning how to read. And it's been my great pleasure to mm-hmm. have been able to work with that population because it does, it does feel high impact when I get a letter that, you know, your book was the first book that my son read or or that I read. So I I have felt privileged to write for that group. I think Bologna and Friends was, I don't know that it's a departure, it's a little bit of a shift mm-hmm. um, in my work in that it is it is for a slightly older set of readers, but I, I do think that it's, I still feel like it's an early reader yeah. in a way. And I think I designed it to feel that way in that I wanted to tell smaller stories. It's not, it's a 96 page book, but it's not one story. No. It's three sort of like 10 to 12 spreads, so like 20 to 24 page comics, mm-hmm. and then little one page mini comics, and then an opener and a closer that are each a couple pages. And that's the format that I want to follow that you know, you could read one of the stories and feel like you read a chapter or two mm-hmm. of a chapter book. You know, get that same feeling of like, well, I've started something and I finished it. Now I can put this book down, go do what I got to do, and I can come back to it later and not feel like necessarily it's too much to handle mm-hmm. for someone who's just getting into decoding language in a way that graphic novels have proven to be such a such a good thing for. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was pretty deliberate with the speech bubbles and that I... I use speech bubbles, and following in the footsteps of many greats, I colored the speech bubbles so that they uh, correspond to the speaker. So Baloney's speech bubble, he's an orange pig. 
speech bubbles are orange, peanuts a blue horse, hers are blue, and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And I think I've been aware of that. I, I don't work from a word list the way that, you know, Dr. Seuss was purported to have uh, written green eggs and ham from a list of 50 words or something. Like, I don't do that in any sense, but I just, but I am aware of who my audience mm -hmm. is and I am writing for them specifically. I'm going to ask you a question I usually ask. I've asked Marianne Hoberman, she's a poet, on this question, and I've, I've asked novelists who write big YA novels, how do you begin a story? Do you start writing or do you start speaking it? Oh, that's such a great question because it they really do live in the same place for me. I will often, I, I will start in my sketchbook writing. I'm pretty specific in my sketchbook tastes and that I've been working with the same one for uh, a few years and it's mm -hmm. each uh, spread has a blank left facing page and a line right facing so I can write and draw on the same spread and sort of organize Ooh, my thoughts okay. in that way um, and I will typically start reading aloud as soon as I feel like I've I've got a long draft of something and I feel like I need to start editing down if there's if there's something there then I'll start reading it aloud and that will help me to figure out the pacing of it mm -hmm. but you know Baloney and Friends it's funny I have I <laughs> sing a lot in my house I and mean, it's to my wife's chagrin you know she's just like <laughs> anything anything will will happen and will cause me to to sing my response or to to just sing any song and we will not make you sing right now <laughs> <laughs> well i wrote i wrote sort of a little little theme song for baloney and friends and i was singing it you know and i was always just kind of like singing it to myself as i was you know walking the dog or whatever and that's how book two is going to start is baloney writing a theme song for the group so that they <laughs> and I, I so i think that that uh read aloud ability of mm -hmm. my work it's kind of what i've become known for like mm -hmm. uh, with my picture books but i think it's just also part of my process too yep. and that like they reading something out loud is the only way that i know how it's going to sound when someone else is going to read it you know i'd like i think that that's why I read with kids a lot too. Mm -hmm. When I'm on tour or when I'm doing school visits, I will try new things out on them and give them a sneak peek. But it's it's really me sort of testing my work, you know, seeing if it if mm -hmm. it's any good or not, uh, or if it works the way that I hope that it will. It's really interesting working with picture books and books for young readers, and I, I feel like it must be the way that musicians feel too, and that there's like three different lives for every piece that you make, right? Like you. You have like the song or the the story in your head. You know, I have this little like Baloney and Friends theme song that I wrote, and I have the way that it should sound and feel and uh, exist in my head. Mm -hmm. And then I have the book, right, which is the document. That's like the recorded version of it that everyone can see and can share in. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's never gonna be. It's never gonna live up to what I had in my head. It's never gonna be as good. It's never gonna feel exactly right there's always going to be one thing that i wish i could tweak or change i mean that's just the reality of, of being a creative person I yes think. i can hear the voice of one of your new neighbors in my brain as you say <laughs> that we will leave that name unmentioned oh hey hi pete how's it going um but but then the third thing then the, the third way that the the work exists is uh when someone else takes it yes and they read it aloud mm -hmm. and they they either read it to themselves or they read it to a group and how they perform it. And, they, yeah. and 
they may interpret it in a completely different way than what I intended, what was in my head, or even sometimes what the document <laughs> has on the page. But you know, it it your work you know just exists in all these different ways and in these different places. And so for me, the way to get it as close as I can to that that first phase where it's in my head yeah. is to read it aloud a bunch mm -hmm. and to to take it out and test drive it. So you've mentioned in number three, other people reading mm -hmm. your work. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to get used to that? <laughs> I, well, I, I know people are like 20 books in and they're still like, yeah, I don't know. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't really like to be in the room okay. if it's happening. Okay, um, valid. I, I have been very impressed by many readers. I've, I have stolen things from like, oh, the way that they did the, you know, I learned the sign for a uh, crocodile, um, the ASL sign for okay. a crocodile from a school librarian in Mississippi who did a fantastic reading of the watermelon seed that I was there for, able to see. Most of the times though, I find myself sort of like being a little cringy because you just don't want to be in the room uh, when someone else is Because it's that, is it's that, that letting go. It's the, it's like, I wouldn't have said it that way or wouldn't mm -hmm. have emphasized that word. And yeah, it's, it's, it is hard to let go in that, in that moment. But, you know, people send me clips of them reading them on YouTube and, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that people are sharing my work in, to whatever audience they, they have. But don't make a full video of reading the book on YouTube <laughs> right. by the book. Just a PSA. Uh, now we have this, uh, we just have a couple minutes left and I'm going to bet they're going to kick us out of the room because there's all these people walking around. So you mentioned you make a lot of school visits. What have you learned over the years from meeting your readers? Well, I've learned a lot about what will hold an audience's attention and sort of those dynamic page turns that we talked about earlier in the conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there is a certain kind of picture book that works really well for one-on-one, -on -one, contemplative, quiet reading. And for me, that just hasn't, hasn't been the direction that I've gone. I, mm -hmm. I am more comfortable, I think, with a group of 450 kindergartners or first graders in an auditorium and we're laughing and uh, talking and you know, making jokes and being surprised by, by one another. I think that it's it's just been such a joy to get to know the audience that mm -hmm. way, and that preciousness that I think a lot of people hold dear. I just I just don't know that it exists in in the schools and libraries that I visit. Um, I think oh no, children are feral. There are there are books. You know, there are books for every reader, and every every reader or there there is a reader for every book. Oh um, no, honey, no, 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 no. No, I'll stop you there. No. There's a couple books that should not have readers. <laughs> well, None of yours, of course. Okay. Well, well, I, mean, it's I got one or two in my brain right now. <laughs> debatable, I guess. But I, I think my understanding of like what will hold a kid's attention and what will there's a lot of talk about like getting kids who are quote unquote reluctant readers or getting them into into books, you know, whatever whatever way that we can grab them. And for me, it, it's been humor and anxiety. You know, like those, yeah. are, those are the two humor things. Humor and anxiety, Those yeah. are the two things that, 
you know, that's how I had a ton of anxiety as a kid. I probably still do now. And I, I look at my picture books that I've made and I, I could open up four, maybe five of them that have a character who is in bed at night in a dark room not able to sleep, wide awake because they're not able yeah. to sleep. And at some point I, I had to ask myself, like, well, what does that say about me? You know, what is that, like, how is that, how is that that, that's keep, that mm-hmm. keeps coming up? And I think one of the things I've, I've learned from kids is, like, those themes are, are coming up because they're the core things from my childhood. That, yeah. you know, Goodnight Owl, I think, is a good example of, having a fear of something and not being able to name it like not he so that book if you're not familiar with it Mm -hmm. is about an owl who has hears a noise in the middle of the night isn't able to see it the reader is able to see that it's a mouse but the owl never or until the very end of the book doesn't see that it's a mouse and ends up destroying his house looking under the floorboards and breaking the walls apart and smashing the roof trying to figure out where this noise is coming from and it wasn't until I really like read that with a, a big group of kids and asked, a second grader asked me, like, why is he freaking out so much? And I remember saying, like, well, what, what do you think? Like, why do you think he's freaking out yeah. so much? What, what is he, is he angry? Is he, is he sad? Like, what? Is, and another kid in that same audience said, you know, I think it's because he doesn't know what it is. It's like it's funny to us because it's a mouse and it's scary to him because he doesn't know what it is. And I, I thought it was it was such a revelatory moment for me and that I I was like I had to take it to them to realize what the book yeah. was about. That it's about the unknown, right? The unknown mm-hmm. is a very scary thing. The diagnosis from the doctor, you know, the phone call is the worst the worst part of the mm-hmm. waiting sometimes before you know what you have to deal with. And I, so I think like one of the greatest experiences for me is taking those books in now that I've been doing it for a few years and have about 10 books out and I can learn from them and see, you know, well, what did you guys think of this book and where did it, where did it take you and how it will so, sort of circle back. Well, I mean, one of the great craziest moments is maybe tangential, but that I had when I was reading Goodnight Owl and there's in his living room there's a whole bunch of stuff all around and there's little like there's a little watermelon seed thing there's a trophy from number one sam there's little moments from my other books Mm -hmm. but he also has a painting on his wall and it's a painting of a ship and a lighthouse and that book i illustrated in 2015 was published in 2016 Mm -hmm. and in 2018 I published This Story Is For You, which features this motif, recurring motif of these kids in a boat, in a sailboat, Mm -hmm. following the light of a lighthouse. And I had, when I drew Goodnight Owl, I had no idea that I was going to make um, This Story Is For You. I had no idea. I wasn't in sketchbook form. I hadn't hadn't written it in any sense. And it's like, to to look back at my work and see, what is that connection there? Like, how did that, where did that come from? And how does it all relate? it's the mystery of, of, of my work it's the mystery of me being a reader of my work as much as anybody else I guess I don't know if that makes sense to you I think it makes sense to me and really I'm the only one anything needs to make sense to because it is my <laughs> podcast but there you go Greg thank you so much for being with us today thank you for having me yeah. I feel good about this conversation
Good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this is my first time sitting down with Greg Pizzoli, and I hope that there will be many more because we have not covered his approach to visual storytelling really in the picture books and and his palette, which I would like to talk to him more yeah, about his palette at some point. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, gentle friends, listeners across the digital universe will end. This has been Victoria Stapleton with Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and with me has been Greg Pizzoli, author and illustrator extraordinaire. His books, The Watermelon Seed, The Book Hog, Goodnight Owl, The Twelve Days of Christmas are all available to you right now. Baloney and friends should be in your heart and on your shelves forthwith. We'll see you next time.